All right. How's everybody doing today? Good to see all of you and uh, want to welcome everyone, uh, regardless of what campus you may be joining us from. If you're listening online, so glad to have all of you today. And before we get rolling, uh, many of you, uh, you need no introduction when it comes to this couple standing next to me. This is uh, Petey and Brittany Kinder. Uh, for those of you that, yeah, give them up, give it a hand. And um, the Kinders have uh, been on our team now for the past seven years. They came here and they initially led our student ministry and did an amazing job. Then they went downtown, launched our downtown campus and did an amazing job. Here recently, PD has been overseeing our campus pastors and sharing much of the teaching load uh, with me around here. And, uh, you know, one of the things that um, uh, we just do around here as a church, if you've been around here for a while, is we uh, find leaders, pour into them, raise them up, develop them, and then other churches steal them. And I uh, can't say that I'm actually very happy about that. And I, I kind of say that in jest, kind of. Um, but uh, we do, I, I really want to just hold on to people very loosely. And, uh, you know, Petey is, is, is my friend, and I love Brittany and their family and want the best for them. And so uh, we began a conversation, I mean, years ago, really, just to say, hey, Petey, what is, where's the dire direction of your life headed? What do you feel God's called you to do? And there have been so many times when Petey's like, I just want to continue to serve here. And, uh, and yet, um, several months ago, we were just like, hey, where's God leading you? And he said, I think that we need to just take a season to just really ask God for his direction. And that's what we did. And uh, you probably noticed he hasn't been up here teaching for a while. And really the only reason behind that is because he's been on sabbatical through the summer. And uh, we just said, let's just create some, some space here for God to speak into your life. And where, where is he leading? And I'll back you 100% of the way. And uh, he came to me um, several weeks ago and just said that there's a church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, that's invited him to come and be their lead pastor. Uh, the name of the church is Red Rock Church and running about 1,000 people, about 12 years old. And they're without a pastor and they really need somebody with the skill set and experience that Petey has to offer to provide some leadership to that church. And so I just want you to know that I don't want him to go. We don't want him to go. And yet we're sad about it, but we at the same exact time, uh, we celebrate it because uh, we really see this as them going and launching another branch of the family tree, and uh, they're going to continue to be a part of our church family. And so here's what I want to, they're not leaving right away. They're going to transition in November, so you're going to hear from Petey again. Petey's going to preach another weekend. Uh, what I want to ask you to do as a church family is uh, we want to leave them with a full tank. And I mean like a full faith tank, a full emotional tank, a literal full gas tank, if we could. Uh, just to send them on their way so that they can really bless uh, the church that they're going to go serve. And so over the course of the next several weeks, would you just uh, encourage them, write them a letter, send them an email, go find them, talk to them. They'll be in the lobby here at Northwest after the service. Let them know how God has used them to impact your life and just encourage them. And uh, Petey and Brittany, I just want you guys to know that um, I love you and, and we love you. And this church is different because of you, and it's better because of you. And uh, you'll always be a part of our family. This is see you later. It's not goodbye. And so uh, what I want to do, let's give it up for them. Uh, as a church family across all of our campuses, I just want to pray over them right now. So. Join with me. Father, we come to you right now, and I thank you for Petey and Brittany and their beautiful children, and thank you for what they mean to us as a church family. Thank you for the work that you've done 
uh, through their lives here. They have impacted literally thousands of people. And I know that they're going to impact um, more people in Colorado. And so, Father, we send them with our sadness and our blessing. We send them with our grief because we love them. They're, they're, they're like family. And yet at the same time, we send them with celebration because of uh, the work that you're going to do in and through them. And so, Father, uh, we just ask that you'd bless them in amazing ways. Over these course of these next several weeks, moving is no fun. We pray that you would just uh, make it as easy as possible. Prepare the way. Provide friends for their kids when they get there. Friends for them. Help the transition to be just amazing. I pray that you would just confirm it every step of the way. And so we send them with our blessing and our love. And we ask that uh, you would uh, work in and through it in incredible ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, man, come on, let's give it up for him. Big, big celebration. Man, we love you. Thanks so much, Brittany. We love you. All right. Get, come on, stand to your feet. Let's do it. Send him off. Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. As you're finding your seat, would you go ahead and uh, find a Bible, maybe a Bible app, and get to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's actually the passage we're going to be in today. And uh, I want to kind of start this way. We've all probably been in this situation before where maybe you're in a crowded uh, parking lot, maybe you're all, uh, on a congested street somewhere, and you're looking for a parking space. And uh, if you've ever been in that scenario before where there's a lot of people out and you're trying to find a parking space, it doesn't seem as if anybody's really willing or ready to make a space for you. And uh, that's happened to me a number of times. In fact, maybe the most memorable one was uh, I was uh, sort of driving real slowly through a crowded parking lot looking for a space to park. And I noticed that this guy came out of the store and it was very clear that he was finished with his business for the day, right? Like he had his bags, he was ready to be gone. And so he goes, he gets into his car, he starts it up. And he even, the, the uh, reverse taillights came on. So I knew that he was getting ready to leave. And so I thought, sweet, got a space, opened up. So I stop and I turn on my turn signal, which everybody knows is the universal indication that I've just called dibs. <laughs> everybody knows that. And so I'm sitting there, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And he's not moving. He's, in fact, he's doing everything but vacating the spot. He's messing with the radio. He's adjusting his mirrors. He's, I don't know, he's playing Candy Crush or checking Insta Story or something. And he's just not moving. And it, all of a sudden it occurs to me, does he see me? Like, does he, does he notice that I'm there? And so he's not moving because I'm waiting for the space. Like, would he really have the nerve to do that? And so um, being the man of God that I am, uh, decide to, to get out and just walk over and see if maybe I can encourage him along the way, you know. And, and so I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. And so, so I walk over and I get outside the, you know, his driver's side glass. And he looks up at me and he rolls his window down. What is this, 1985? He, he, he rolls his window down electronically, which is the way you do that. And he looks at me, no joke, he goes, Pastor Aaron? And man... I had to call an audible real quick, all right? And I was like, that's right, parishioner Joe. Uh, just, uh, just wanted to come over here and bless you. Just, uh, 
see if maybe God's moving you in your life in any way. Got a suggestion for you. Right, just. We've all been there. Now, this is actually a thing. Like according to the Journal of Applied Social Psychology, someone studied hundreds of drivers and they found, get this, that we actually take longer to move out of a parking space if we know someone's waiting for it than if we don't think anybody's waiting for it at all. We are terrible, terrible people. <laughs> that means that we're willing to waste valuable moments in our day just to make someone wait, just to not create any space for them. And I'm afraid that a parking lot or a crowded street isn't the only place that we do this. I know this is certainly true for me. Like, I find that this is most often true in my relationship with God. That, that there are plenty of moments when, um, like, I'm aware that, that God is there. Like, I know that, you know, he's got the turn signal on. He's trying to get my attention. He, he, he wants me to create some space for him to come and speak to me and do something through me. But I'm not really willing to make some space for him to do that. And that's really what this series that we have been in, called Six Words That Can Change Your Life, is really all about. Now, I just want to go ahead and acknowledge, I've already said this before, like we all know that I think it's probably overstating it just a bit to say that a word can change your life. Right? Like the only people that say those types of dramatic things are somebody's usually trying to sell you something. Like I know that like just a simple word probably isn't enough to change anybody's life. And that's not what we're trying to do with this series. What we're trying to do is examine some words that actually can help us create some space for God to come in and change our lives. That through these words, it can, the, the conviction behind it, the courage behind it can allow God to do what only he can. And so on week number one, we talked about a really fun word to say, the word wow. And then last week, Pastor Ryan walked us through a, a hard word for us to often say, just the word sorry. Today, I want to look at another word that's, that's equally difficult to say, but, but for different reasons. And it's the word no. And I just want you to look at that word and, and think about that word for just a minute. Like when you hear the word no, like what kind of emotional response does that bring about? Like what's the vibe behind that word? Do you like me? No. Ugh. Like can we be friends? No. Like do you think I'll get the promotion? No. Like do these jeans make me look fat? Well, the answer to that is probably no, right? Like, in fact, it always, fellas, it always needs to be no, all right? The word no, I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge it. It sort of has a negative vibe to it. It feels a little bit like a dead end, like a slap in the face, like we can't move forward. And so because of that, many of us have a difficult time saying it. Now, that's really what I want to look at. See, there, there, this, it's probably another message for another time. Like, how can we hear or receive a no? I know that for me, I've got, I've got a ways to go uh, in my life growing in that area. Because oftentimes it reveals my character the way I respond to a no. That's a message for another time. Today I want to talk about how do, we, how do we say no more often. Because chances are, you're likely not saying it enough in your life. And so as a result, you're overextended 
You're exhausted, sleep-deprived, anxious, stressed, worried, off balance, and trying to impress people that you barely know and don't even really like because you have a hard time saying no. And it's really because you're, you're a good person. Like, you're a kind person, and you don't want to be negative. You don't want to be discouraging. You don't want to come across as grumpy. And so we sort of, somewhere along the line, uh, led ourselves to believe that positive people say yes, negative people say no. So I don't want to be a negative person. And so you have a hard time saying no. Now, it hasn't always been that way. Like, there was a time in your life and in mine where we very naturally and very easily said no and didn't feel bad about it. We were little kids. Eat your vegetables. No. Right? Clean your room. No. Uh, stop hitting your sister. No. And we said it easily, and we said it naturally, and we didn't feel bad about it. And then somewhere along the line, maybe it was middle school or junior high, uh, we began to figure out that people actually liked me better when I said yes. That I actually uh, was, I, I was more popular when I said yes than no. I made friends easier and kept them longer when I said yes rather than, than no. I, I really wanted to be noticed by that boy or that girl. And so I said yes when I knew that I probably should have said no. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not down on the word yes. Right? Like yes is a really great word. And there are plenty of moments and times when we should say yes. And I'll even kind of talk about that a little bit here in just a moment or two. So I want to be clear. The problem isn't with yes. The problem begins when we start saying yes to the wrong things for the wrong people too many times and for the wrong reasons. And this is where the power of a word like no can be found. I think that for many of us, we've sort of misinterpreted what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower. It's as somebody that's always available. Somebody that always says yes. Somebody that is always willing to do whatever other people ask of them to do. That, that's just simply not true. Others of us, maybe we just think, well, in order to be a loving person or a kind person, that means that I can never say no and I've almost always got to say yes. And the result of saying yes, when we maybe want to say no or mean to say no, is eventually it leads to resentment. Eventually, it leads to, to burnout. I've seen this um, in friendships and in marriage. I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen it in the church over and over and over again, where we said yes and yes and yes and yes, and then all of a sudden we crossed that line into resentment, and then we burned out. I've even seen people walk away from their faith because of it. But see, when we can manage to say no, Maybe even in those opportunities when we like to say yes, what it does is it creates some space. It creates some margin for refreshment. It creates some margin for us to, to process and to uh, be a discerning person that operates with wisdom. And we can actually then begin to, to discern where it is that God is leading us in our lives. Now, in order to do that, in order to say yes to the right person, the right thing, we've got to say no way more than we say yes, so that we're ready to say yes. We actually see um, no all throughout the Bible. There's just example after example after example. And let me just give you a few before we get to our primary passage. Esther chapter 1, there's this uh, queen by the name of Vashti, 
And the king, a guy by the name of Xerxes, throws this massive party for his nobles and his officials and his military leaders. And so what she decides to do is she hosts like a ladies' brunch in her wing of the castle while he's having his party over here. She's having a great time with the ladies. And meanwhile, King Xerxes' party just goes off the rails. And uh, the music's thumping, and they've had way too much to drink. And Xerxes, smashed out of his mind, sends a message to Vashti. And he basically says, I want you to come in here, and I want you to be the entertainment for my friends. She was a very beautiful woman. He said, I want you to come in here and flaunt yourself as entertainment for my party. And guess what her response was? Look at what it says in verse 12. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. In other words, no, uh-uh, not going to do it. And this made the king furious, and he burned with anger. In fact, uh, he even took away her crown. Her no cost her something, but she stuck to her guns, and she said the answer is no. We see another example in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, there's another king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who attacked Jerusalem. He took hostage some young men from Jerusalem, some of the very best and the brightest, and he took them back and he put them in his training program, it was a three-year program, in Babylon in order to sort of uh, deprogram them and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life. And so he said, I'm going to put you on this exercise program. I'm going to put you on this keto diet that everybody's doing in Babylon. All right. And I want to sort of, I want you to kind of come out of this three-year training program, totally different people so you can serve within my service. He even changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar. And notice Daniel's response to this in verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. And in fact, it cost him something. He got thrown into a lion's den because of it. In Genesis chapter 39, Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, and he's doing his absolute best, given the circumstances that he is under, to be faithful and obedient. He's trying to work as hard as he can. And then his boss, a guy by the name of Potiphar, his wife begins to take an unhealthy interest in Joseph. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. In other words, he had a tan and six-pack abs. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, this isn't a little innocent flirtation. This is a full-on proposition with a threat attached to it. And it would have been easy for Joseph to say yes in that situation. He could have easily talked himself into it. He's like, you know what? My life has fallen apart. It's taken this unexpected turn. I'm trying to be faithful with where I am. And you know what? I deserve a little bit of indiscretion. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph says no. And look at what it says in verse 8. Joseph, he refused. He refused. Now, I don't think that it was because she was an unattractive woman. I think she was probably likely very beautiful. I think the reason why Joseph refused was because he knew that he couldn't do this, and she kept coming after him. She was one persistent cougar. And she kept coming after him over and over and over again to the point that Joseph, like, he didn't even hang around to say no any longer. He just ran, and it cost him something. She started spreading all kinds of false lies about his character. But my favorite example, though, is in, in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6, 
If you don't know the story, Nehemiah is this guy from Jerusalem who finds out that his hometown of Jerusalem had been attacked and is in ruins. And Nehemiah was a leader. And so he uh, gathered the resources and the team to go and to rebuild the wall. And he had a lot of opposition against the rebuilding. And we hear their names in verses 1 and 2. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them. All right, so this is a distraction. They're trying to get him away from rebuilding the wall at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem unreasonable. It doesn't seem like anything out of the ordinary, but Nehemiah can see right through it. Look at verse 2. It says, but I realized that they were plotting to harm me. In other words, he had enough margin in his life that he could discern what was happening. And so I replied by sending this message to them. Hey, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now, I don't know. I don't know how that that hits you. I want you to think about Nehemiah's response. And I don't know how you're wired Uh, But how does that feel right there? Because he doesn't necessarily, they haven't done necessarily anything wrong. Nehemiah's just discerning that this doesn't seem to be right. And so Nehemiah just basically said no to their request. Now, if you're a type A kind of leader person, you know, you get more done by 8 a.m. than the rest of us do our entire day. Maybe that's easy for you. You're reading that going, yeah, absolutely you shouldn't come. You know, if I get the Outlook request for a meeting and there's no purpose behind the meeting, the answer is no, right? I'm not going to do it. And then maybe there's others of us and we, you know, uh, don't like conflict and we want to keep the peace and all that. You, you read Nehemiah's response here and that just gave you a little mini panic attack. You're just like, how could he be so mean? Like, it's, it's not that you can't logically see why Nehemiah said no. It's just, man, how he didn't give any reason necessarily for it. And they, they would have felt bad. And depending upon how you're wired, I just want to throw this question out to you. And I just want you to think about it in your own life. Have you ever said yes to something or someone and you really wanted to say no? I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it was a job. Like maybe you just went on an interview because it was a courtesy. Somebody recommended you and you go. And right there on the spot, they offer you the job. You don't even have time to think about it. You don't even know if you really want it, but you said yes. Because they're like asking you right there. Um, uh, maybe have you ever, uh, have, my favorite one is, have you ever been at the cash register and the clerk asks you if you want to join the rewards program? And everything within me is going, no, 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 no. Where do I sign? It's like, what am I doing? Or maybe a friend comes up to you and asks if you would help them move. And you're just like inside, you're just going, I really don't want, yes. What time do you want me to be there? You know, it's like we've all probably said yes in certain moments. Now, once again, I don't want to overstate this because there are some times when maybe we don't feel like saying yes when maybe we should. But I'm talking about... Uh, an imbalance here to where we're saying yes to some things that we know we need to say no to. Uh, When I was in college, I asked a girl on a date and she said yes to me when she really wanted to say no. And some of you are like, well, how'd you know that? Well, um, I I called her up and uh, asked her out and she said, yes, we we set up this time. I go to her dorm to, to meet her. She comes out into the lobby of the dorm. And as soon as she sees me, there were two looks on her face. The first one was confusion 
And then the next expression on her face was followed very quickly um, by a look of disappointment. All right? Two looks you don't want on the face of your date. All right? And so I'm like uh, trying to figure out what's going on. I, and she, she ends up telling me, she goes, oh, you. She, she, um, <laughs> Because I called her on the phone, this is way before the days of like FaceTime and all that, she just heard my voice. She thought I was the cute Aaron that made her laugh that sat next to her in her English lit class. She thought she was saying yes to him. But you know, she was saying yes to this. All right. And, uh, <laughs> and so immediately I was like, hey, listen, we don't have to go out. It's no, no big deal. And she was like, no, 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 we can, we can. And we did. And I wish we wouldn't have because it was like super miserable. And I'm sure that there have been times in all of your life where you, you've said yes to some things that you wanted to say no to. That, that, that yes is what came out of your mouth. Why? And I just want you to think about all the reasons. And it could be that because just like all of us, there's a little bit of a people pleaser within us. That's for sure true. I think it goes even deeper than that. I think that for many of us, we're looking for affirmation. And we're afraid that if we say no, we won't get it. Or maybe we're looking for our life's purpose, and what if it's found in this opportunity? And so if we say no, we'll miss it. Maybe we're looking for meaning, we're looking for fulfillment, and so we're afraid that if we say no, we might miss out on the thing or the opportunity that just might give it to us. See, here's the thing, is that you don't have a 100% guarantee on any of the options that are in front of you. Nehemiah didn't. Nehemiah could not know with 100% certainty uh, his enemy's intentions. He just had built enough margin into his life where he could operate with some discernment and some wisdom. And he said, I, I don't think that this is quite fully right. And, the, and, he, and he was right. I mean, they just kept coming after him. Look at what it says in verse 4. Four times they sent the same message. And each time I gave the same reply. They're trying to wear him down. And he just kept saying, no, 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 no. The fifth time. They pull out all the stops, and Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, because if Geshem says so, it probably is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. You see what he's doing? He's, he's, um, he's full of it. He is trying to, he's making these dramatic statements in an effort to emotionally manipulate Nehemiah, even scare him into saying yes. And here's what I know about you, is that you likely right now have a sand ballot in your life. You likely have several. And here's the thing, is maybe they, they mean well, maybe they're not like your full-on enemy, but they know how to manipulate you. And, and maybe it's needy friends that are constantly taking from you but never giving back. Maybe it's a coercive coworker that's trying to use you to, to get ahead. Maybe it's troublesome in-laws. I don't know. Maybe it's your grown kids. And they're constantly like leaning on you for all kinds of things that, 
they should no longer be leaning on you for. And they, they mean well, but they know what to say. Better yet, they know how to say it to manipulate you into saying yes. And so they exaggerate the truth. They hit you with some passive aggression. They throw out some veiled threats. They've been doing it for years. They know how to work you. And so they say things like, oh, no, no, it's fine. We'll be okay. But you know they're not okay. It's like, oh, you know, a lot of people feel this way, you know, and so just wanted you to know. Or, you know, if you cared about me, then. And so we end up saying yes in those moments because we can't bear the short-term pain of saying no. And they know it. And what it's doing is it's robbing you of margin for you to be discerning, and it's leading you towards resentment. Check out Nehemiah's response in verse 8. He replied, (laughs) I love this, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. And they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination, greater clarity, because he was able to see right through it. He just calls them out. There's a guy by the name of John Townsend who's written a book here recently called People Fuel, and I'd highly recommend it to you. And he was being interviewed on a leadership podcast a few weeks ago, and I love what he said. He said, there are five words that can revolutionize your life. He said, here's what they are. I'm not available right now. Now, I think that there's a difference between saying no forever and no, not right now. That's a different thing. And just to be able to figure out the wisdom and the discernment that every time somebody runs to you with an emergency, every time somebody runs to you with a problem, every time, I would say maybe the the place we need to begin is these uh, electronic uh, rectangles in our our pocket. That they are constantly buzzing and chirping and, and maybe the first place to begin is just, I'm not available right now. We just put that thing in sleep mode. I'm not available right now. now. Now, here's the thing, is that you need to say this, and then the temptation is you're going to want to justify this. And he goes on to say, you don't need to offer any justification. Just say, I'm not available right now, and leave it at that. You don't need to justify your no. Now, I need to offer a word of caution here. All right? You need to employ some emotional intelligence and some social awareness to this exercise. Here's what I mean. If you go home this week and your wife texts you <laughs> on your way home from work and she says, can you stop by the grocery store and pick up some marinara sauce for dinner? Don't be texting her back. I'm not available right now. And Pastor Aaron says, I don't need to justify it. All right, all right. So I'm, I am publicly washing my hands of that scenario right now, all right? Of course, there are some moments when you can't use this. It would be unwise. Like, if your boss gives you a reasonable amount of time to get the project done, all right, like, you can't keep use, you can't use this like a trump card, but I am saying there's probably a lot of opportunities in your life when you need to employ this phrase a little more liberally in order to create some space in your life. See, there is a small group of people in my life where 99.9999% of the time, the answer needs to be yes. Therefore, there is a much larger group of people where most of the time the answer needs to be no so that I can say yes to them. Does that make sense? 
If I were, to, if I wish I had like a visual up here, I, I don't, but maybe in your mind, just picture like a bullseye and then some concentric circles, kind of like a target that goes out. And maybe you can do this exercise this next week with your spouse, your kids, your small group, maybe people in your life. And just in the center of that bullseye, uh, who are the people that you need to say yes to most of the time? And it should be a very, very small list, beginning with Jesus right in the center of the bullseye. I'm going to get to that in a minute. And then just the concentric circles moving out to help you prioritize when do I need to say yes and when do I need to say no. Because how tragic would it be if you said no to the right people because you were saying yes to the wrong people. And many of us are doing that. Well, it isn't over. Let me finish up the passage. Verse 11, it says, Later, Nehemiah goes to visit uh, Shemaiah, son of Delia, and the grandson of Mehitable, who is confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. That's a red flag, all right? Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. So right now, they've just resorted to threats. In verse 11, Nehemiah replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. And I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Right? They, they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. See, Nehemiah could discern that this wasn't God's direction. This was the manipulation of people and nothing was going to deter him from what it was that God had asked him to do. So if I could just leave you with this, if there was one word I think even out of the six words that we're looking at in this series that I think could immediately uh, bring some change into your life and into mine, like almost immediately, I think that it would be the word no. And, and maybe this week what you need to do is you, you need to say no to something that maybe you'd really like to say yes to just to create some margin. And maybe you're a little fearful that you're going to miss out on a uh, promotion, a pay raise, some respect, some recognition. But you, you know what? This is just a discipline. I'm just going to say no to this to create some margin. I'm going to trust God in this. Or maybe you need to say no in advance of a few things. And I think that most of us probably like know this. The challenge is knowing when to say no and why we would say no and how we would say no because we don't want to give off the perception that we are aloof or that we're arrogant or that we're negative. And, and so many of you, maybe you have those questions. It's like, well, how do I say no and when do I say no and why do I say no? I wish that I could answer those questions. I, I just simply can't give you an equation. What I can do is lay out a principle that I think can establish a framework to help you process through this. Here's what I mean. I think that one of the best ways in which we can figure out when and how to say no to something is examining why we want to say yes to it. Like what's motivating you to say yes? So if I could phrase it this way, I need to say no when the reason I feel compelled to say yes is because, and I want to ask you to make a list. Talk with, about this with your group. Talk about this with your spouse, your, your friends, your roommate. And just say, what, what, what are all the reasons, the wrong reasons I'm compelled to say yes? Let me just give you three to get you started. The first one would just be simply this. When I'm too concerned with what people think of me. When I'm just like so concerned with what you might think about me, that's the reason primarily why I want to say yes, I should probably say no. Here's the second one is uh, when I'm too preoccupied with what I've acquired or accomplished. 
And so I'm afraid. Like, you know, the competition's steep. People want my job. Like, I've already acquired this status, and so I'm, try- I'm in protection mode. So I'm overextending myself to protect it. Then I probably need to say no. Here's another one. It, the last one I'll give you is I'm afraid I might miss out. I'm just afraid I'm going to miss out on that opportunity. I'm just constantly looking for validation and affirmation from others. And so I just say yes all the time without really fully processing it. And so maybe, today, maybe this week you can just be very thoughtful about finishing out the list. And this will give you a grid from which to operate from. But let me give you, I think, one of the greatest sources of clarity as to what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. Going back to that bullseye, at the very center of the bullseye should be the name Jesus. It is amazing to me how clarifying it is when you say yes to Jesus, how much clarity it gives you on the other people and opportunities you need to say yes and no to. And one of the um, things about like uh, this fancy word discipleship, which is, is basically what we're running after. It's like just trying to help you follow Jesus in area, every, every area of your life. And this is where I'm trying to get to in my life, is I'm trying to get to this place of margin. I'm trying to get to this place of spiritual health and emotional health. I'm trying to get to this place where I've made enough space for God to work in my life, where when Jesus speaks, uh, the noise isn't so turned up that I can't hear him, but I can actually discern his voice. And I can say back to him, Jesus, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Because I trust him and I trust that he wants what's best for me. And I trust that what he's laid out for me really is for my good. And you know what? Honestly, some of us right now, we, have, we just can't say yes to Jesus because we've said yes to everything and everyone else in our lives. Some of you right now can't say yes to serving on the weekends because you've already said yes to your kids' sports. Some of you, 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 you won't get into a group because you've already said yes to that hobby or to the fantasy football league. Some of you are not willing to trust God with a tithe because you've already said yes to MasterCard and Visa. Some of you aren't willing to put your trust in Jesus and follow him in every area of your life. You're still holding back because you've said yes to everything and everyone else. And what I want you to know is that Jesus said no to self-preservation. Jesus said no to his own comfort. Jesus said no to to self-fulfillment so that you and I might say yes to the life that he died to give to you and to me. And so what we're gonna do right now in this time is is I I literally just wanna create enough space right now for God to work in your life. And I just wanna ask you not to leave the service early if you can. I just wanna ask you to lean in. I want you to take the communion, hopefully that you brought in with you, that represents the body and the blood of Jesus and spend a few moments and just ask God to speak and give you wisdom to say, what are some things that I need to say no to so that I can say yes to you, God, and yes to the people and the things that matter most. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you right now. And I just ask that you would help us in this because this is hard. This is so challenging for us to be able to figure out when to say no and why to say no and how to say no so that we can be people who are refreshed enough and have enough margin to be able to be discerning about what we need to say yes to. And so God, I just pray that that at all of our campuses that we would just create enough space right now, just a few moments before we turn our phones back on, 
before we go out into the craziness of our week, that we would just take a few moments to just sit and say, God, here's some space for you to do what only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.